Are you a kiddo who dreams? Kinky dreams? Dreams of wearing pants like the ones you grew up with? Well, golly gee, dream no more. Kinky Dreams specializes in printing cute vintage designs of diaper prints, superheroes, and cartoon characters on adult diapers. These handcrafted pants will leave you feeling your full baby fantasy. If you want to get your grabby hands on one of these one-of-a-kind diapers, make sure to use promo code PLAYTIME for 10% off all Kinky Dreams products. Kinky Dreams, making your little dreams come true. Hello, 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 and welcome to Newsy's Nook, a podcast where you can sit and relax while I try not to wet my pamps. I am your host, Newsy Baby. I hope you have your puppy ears on and are thickly padded because this week we are talking about pride. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Pride Month is celebrated annually in June to honor the 1969 Stonewall Riots and the work to achieve equal justice and opportunity for LGBTQ people. A big debate every year is should kink be allowed at Pride events? I asked my followers that question on Twitter and 81% of you said yes, 7% said no, and 12% said it depends. Some said that it depends on the level of exposure, keeping in mind that children may be present. Many brought up that Pride events have become family events. One person brought up that it is interesting that Pride has grown to the point of being a family-friendly event. A look back at history shows that modern-day Pride events grew from protests during the early days of the gay rights movement. Another follower offered this analogy. If you took your kids to an R-rated movie, you wouldn't insist that theaters bleep out all the bad words and blur the nudity. Twitter user Lucky Mud posted this thread about why kink is important at Pride. It reads in part... Pride is the only time where we get to collectively and publicly celebrate our queer elders who died so that we could stand here. Erasing kink, and especially leather, from pride erases parts of our history. If you don't like it, don't go. If you don't want to have a conversation with your kids about our dead elders and why those leather daddies are dressed like that, don't go. This week in Newsy's Nook, I had the honor to talk with LA Pup 2022, Kieran Hound. We go over the debate on whether kink should be allowed at Pride, as well as diversity within kink communities. June is upon us, which is Pride yes. Month, and a big debate for a lot of kinksters. Or I don't even think there's a debate within kinksters, but the debate of should kinks be allowed at Pride? What are your that's thoughts? Such, that's such a great question. Oh, I have so many thoughts on that. Um, and as is par for the course for me, um, I take a nerdy historical view on it. Okay. So there is this idea of, of course, just had it in my brain. Now I'm going to forget it. Um, oh, gosh, that term. Um, I'll describe around it, and then the word is going to come to me. Okay. So, oh, there it is. It's called respectability politics. Okay. The respectability politics can be used actually as a term for anything, you know, inside or outside of kink. And it's this idea that seems like a good idea at the time. And you can actually, respectability politics, politics specifically within even the queer community, um, had these roots, and let's 
I mean, we could go back really, really far, but let's just look within the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So being gay, queer, LGBT, whichever, I don't think to at least my limited historical knowledge for right now, um, just looking in the last, you know, 120 years or so, it wasn't as such a big feverish, scary freaking thing, um, you know, before really, let's even look like the 1910s and 1920s. Um, maybe it wasn't documented as much or it wasn't perhaps talked about, um, but you have this really between like World War One and World War Two, this political movement of almost kind of like paranoia fear that um, gripped like the US. You see this in McCarthyism of like this fear of communism, you know, the Red Scare, all of this. And so I actually, I'm kind of picking this up. There was a book called um, The Gay Revolution by a lesbian historian, Linda Fatterman, uh, that I read. And it's, it's great. It's like 600 page book, I highly recommend it. Um, because she breaks it down, you know, the last hundred years of gay rights. And she tracks how with this red scare McCarthyism of fear of, oh my gosh, you know, the Russians are trying to destroy us and, and Bolshe Bolshevism and all this, the way we need to protect the US is to protect from any commie forces. And this idea that gay people um, there was actually a traced idea that they were like communist sympathizers. And so anyone who came off as that was a direct threat to the stability of the United States. There was such a panic in that, that even the postal service became involved. If anyone received possible like um, homo, mailings or anything that might be susceptible they were actually put on government lists to to be watched for possible like homosexual tendencies it was a threat to the stability of the nation um people in government jobs who were suspected of being gay lesbian all of this lost their job lost security clearances um and it was a major thing it became absolutely a huge huge uh state-sponsored gay panic of this mm -hmm. So that overarching idea that I think a lot of people still, I mean, look, coming through, you know, the 90s, the repeal of don't ask, don't tell, military and all of this, when you have all of these larger forces at play, um, what, Pride happened in the 70s, what, 1969 was uh, Stonewall, the first Pride was 70, I believe, um, Man, I'm going to feel like a really bad queer person if I just quoted that wrong. Um, but, and we, you know, we always know this idea that, okay, Stonewall became finally the, you know, basically stop raiding our queer establishments, get the fuck out, st stop picking on us, you know, from a, a police, which are, you know, a state-sponsored force. Right, 1969. We're, we're, right, we're pushing it out, you know, fuck off, we can, we can exist. So kink, 
is going to be, to me, one of the first things that people are going to be taught to push out using respectability politics. So if we become so afraid of our queerness and we also forget the arch of history mm-hmm. of queer being, queer to me even is, is transformative. It's, it's radical. It's depending on certain cultures. It was absolutely, you know, it was shamanic. It was sacred in a lot of, in a lot of really deep ways. Um, and there's a lot of aspects of just major American culture <laughs> that mm-hmm. has forgotten these roots. And so kink to me is very much almost like a, a sacred transformative practice, whether that's sacredly emotional, um, bonds of family. There's a lot of very intense energies that we channel through kink. Um, and I like using that as a very broad window because, okay, pup play, you know, it's channeling the spirit of the canine. Um, mm-hmm. Other things that might be channeling certain power dynamic energies. It's very raw and it's very powerful. And people who either have an experience of that themselves, have a certain amount of emotional oppression, or you know, are in certain type of jobs. Again, nodding back to, you know, the 30s and the 40s of this literally fear of, oh my God, like you can't. You can't be gay. You lose everything. You're a threat to everything. You teach people generationally for long enough that to be different from, for whatever reason, a certain group of people who gain more prominence think this is the only way to be. Okay. Even if you totally fit that, it still becomes a golden cage. Right. You're, you're building something that looks safe But even for people who, quote, check all those boxes, you know, the the straightest cis manly man who has the most feminine cis woman wife, the perfect two and a half kids or so, even if that's considered the ideal, the most vanilla people, only missionary sex, only have sex to reproduce, make children, like whatever, how many boxes do you want to check off? Mm -hmm that is still becomes a prison if no other options are welcomed or available. Right. So using that as a general kind of basis, people who have forgotten (laughs) that humans are weird. We are so weird. Mm -hmm. Like, like, have you ever watched a nature documentary and be like, that's a pretty normal fish. Like, no, we forget. We are a part of life and existence. We are part of nature. We are, or life force are being nature is weird. Humans are freaking bizarre. Right. And it is absolutely futile to try to feel that we can force humans in to being this one thing that we think is the acceptable thing. That's, that's a mirage. That's an illusion. And even the people with the most amount of money, state title, powers, whatever, I don't care how many followers they have on Twitter, Instagram, whichever, if they forget how beautifully wild and weird that we all can be, they start creating an internal prison for themselves. So kink is, I think, always going to be treated with a little bit of fear suspicion. 
if people forget a much larger picture. And so going back to your question of kink at pride, you know what, I'm glad that some people are going to feel that it's uncomfortable and weird because that's their emotional journey that they need to navigate. Mm. It shows that there might be something they haven't processed yet. Yes. And that that. gets into, that to me becomes a, I don't even want to say dangerous because again, I'm, I'm bringing up kind of emotional fear reactions with this, but that's why it's a good idea that people don't forget like where queerness comes from where you know we're kink again the 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 weirdness of of nature um you can try your hardest (laughs) to mold an event or a people or a community into something that you're only at that moment currently comfortable with but i think that is you're not going to be successful (laughs) you're going to try you're going to hurt a lot of people in the process Honestly, you're going to hurt, I think, yourself a lot in the process, because when you try to project your emotional repression and your lack of, whether you call it ignorance, whether you want to see lack of a bigger picture, if you try to project that onto others, you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) So can't get pride. It's to me that, yeah. It's like going into the ocean. Okay, like I don't want any of the creatures to be weird or do right. weird things that I don't understand. As I scuba dive in the ocean, I want only to see things that I perfectly understand. And if I come across, I don't know, whatever, like if I like come a, across something, a I'm going to be fish or, or blowfish or something. You're like, yeah, oh, I don't want that. I like that. Well, I like, I like your answer because I feel like your answer could be put on both queer people who are like oh i don't want kink at pride because you you know you're you're basically right. saying like okay you just haven't analyzed what you're seeing yet or mm-hmm. maybe you haven't <laughs> processed yet and i also like because your answer also goes with i'll call them just vanilla people or pedestrian yeah. people who you know maybe even qu- queer in general they haven't processed yet and just yeah and you know we've commercialized pride so much that like the right. idea of pride is fine with them but then when you actually put like you know the actual queer people on the floats <laughs> <laughs> oh, not like that. You could have rainbows, but right. not naked people. That's weird. Right. No. And, you know, I'm so sad to say this, but like my mom actually thought like, oh, I think it's so cool that every June they put rainbows out. And I was like, do you know why? And they're like, yeah, the pride. And I was like, do you know why? Oh, but that's beautiful. That's that sparks a conversation there. Right. Exactly. And but it kind of goes, but it kind of just shows that, like, you know, when you commercialize something so much, it kind of damages the whole meaning of it and the whole reason why we have pride events and the reason why kink should be there. It's to celebrate all these different yeah. facets that are within our queer community. I'd almost offer though a duality to that. Yes, some aspects of it can be shallow and damaging in a way. But it's also, there's also a lot of beauty to that as well. If you had no commercialization whatsoever, mm-hmm. no, no visibility beyond going to a kink party with people that you know, and zero visibility, mm-hmm. you have no reference at all to start any conversation with people who are vanilla or not in these spaces. 
Right. If there if there, there's a visibility of it, it opens a conversation to it. Right. Now it might be really uncomfortable and there might be a lot of hurt feelings or a whole lot of awkwardness to go through of. Um, but that's like any human interaction. There's a, uh, a journalist who I came across um, several years ago. And unfortunately it was actually because of, of her death. Um, that's kind of a, a whole weird other story. Um, it was very, it was kind of a tragedy, but there was a journalist um, named Kim Wall mm-hmm. and she did an article because I remember um, me having been a journalist for 10 years too. When a journalist passes away, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll look through their history of what they wrote about, what they were passionate about. I think that's a good honorific to their, their life and legacy. Mm-hmm. And I came across a story of hers that was basically um, 50 shades of gray was kinks stonewall. And I was like, I see it. I see okay, it though. Right. And I was like, intriguing article and and this was for the guardian newspaper uk newspaper and i read it and she took the time to go to a play party i think it was like a a dominatrix led play party and she explained the energies in how people were playing and expressing themselves she interviewed the dominatrix who's talking about the respect and the protocol and then she talked about how they were talking about 50 shades of gray which had recently come out mm-hmm. and the dom was talking about how like yes there's a lot of things wrong <laughs> with this movie but people who have never stepped into a dungeon or seen maybe something outside of specifically looking into porn or whichever they've been exposed to these ideas now and that is a huge boon to our community that brings actually a lot of light and people may be bumbling in like idiotic babies bumping their head and messing up the kitchen and doing all sorts of stuff. And people are going to be like, Oh my God, these new people coming in, they have no idea what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Whatever. But you know what? That's your own emotional experience. There are so many people in our community that maybe who knows, they might even be too afraid to admit this. Didn't know about kink before they saw that movie. And then it validated something within them that they were maybe long interested about. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's well, that idea. Too. What it reminds me of is, and I had a conversation with someone recently about media and like queer media yeah. of how that's kind of what Will and Grace did, right? Mm, it, right. right? It, it mainstreamed a gay person on yeah. TV, but it gave Huge. us two, two very Huge. like archetypes gay people right you had mm-hmm. the flamboyant one and then you had like the straight passing one right yes there are a lot of problems with that scenario but it goes to your point of like we've hit mainstream now now we just have to yeah we've thrown it on the wall it's now on the wall now we have to like paint the picture that like society has allowed us to paint on the wall right yep and i would actually parallel with that um i think there's a lot of similar patterns that even our our rights as a nation and such has followed too. Okay, let's even look with voting, all right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you start off with the only people who are kind of participating in the political process are upper-class land-owning white men 
everybody else are kind of plebeians can go fuck themselves. Um, and slowly but surely, you know, and this, this absolutely has problematic aspects. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are excluded from this. But over time, you know, more people learn how to fight against this. It, it even, I would say, is a golden cage for those, you know, people who even fit that ideal, landowners, whichever. Mm-hmm. Now they're probably going to scream. And yeah, some of them still are kicking and screaming. of like, no, 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 we can't share this. Like these people shouldn't be allowed to vote. These people don't have enough land. Like they try to find ways and excuses that other people shouldn't have a say in things. But kink to me, again, has a certain ground parallel. Sometimes, oftentimes the only people you see most visible are uh, cis white gay men who also fit a certain type of body type. Yep. I think people aren't aware how much that's not just the queer community. There's a lot of tendency influences, even coming from the 1940s and 50s, this ideal that actually comes out of, you really want to go deep and crazy, um, comes out of a lot of tenets that actually fall under um, these idea, toxic ideas of white supremacy. There was this idea that there is the ideal man the ideal man has these certain proportions. The ideal mm-hmm. woman has these proportions. It's very binary. And we're going to enforce the hell out of this culturally, societally. When you see that, <laughs> um, it becomes, again, a horrible golden cage for even the people who fit these body ideals. But the queer community, which, of course, we're, we're not outside of all of these influences, if we're not aware of those patterns, we can internalize that and be like, well, the only acceptable people who should be queer representative are only people who I feel comfortable with, who are other, like, say, if, say, okay, I'm a cis white gay man who fits all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not even be aware that I am further homogenizing the community if i'm not aware of why i make the choices that i make like right are we we talking about how fit white muscular guys will only hook up with fit white muscular guys are we touching on that That ground that is a part of it too okay i just because i've had that conversation with someone else and they're like well is it racist if like I don't hook up with black people. And I'm like, if you're, if you're, and that's, and we could even split hairs with that. If you were choosing to actively not engage with the group of people based on their skin color or gender. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It is the ist, you know, that, that can be sexist. That can be racist. Um, because you probably have actually a lot more work to do to unpack before maybe you should even be hooking up with somebody of that because actually if maybe if you're not aware (laughs) of your racism and like how certain ideas um, can act out you're probably actually going to end up doing a lot of um, collateral emotional damage to your partner if they are you know uh, uh, a black partner you're probably actually going to act out a lot of shitty things so yeah, maybe it's actually best for you right now <laughs> to not be hooking up with any black people until you fix your shit. 
that is a whole topic for another <laughs> podcast. But I want to talk. Let's go. There, there, <laughs> there's two things that you brought up that I want to get on. The first one I'll talk about that I want to turn to is, you know, I feel like harnesses are very yeah. mainstream now. You see them at EDC. You see them at yeah. gay bars. They're very, you know, gone away from it almost feels like they're gone away from their leather roots or people have forgotten the roots sure. of a harness. And now they've sure. just become the next shoe or t-shirt that sure. you, know, you just wear to a gay event. Right. And it seems like putt play is slowly making that upward climb of being mm-hmm. mainstream. I see a lot of people who are like, I just want to putt put because that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, in do you, do you find that putt play has now become more one of the most mainstream kinks out there? Oh, gosh, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I would say in some aspects, yeah. Um, I think a nod credit to that is, well, I mean, let's look at the idea of the industrial revolution. You know, we have this ideas where we can have um, more clothes and certain items created on a larger mass scale because of certain automation of machines and such. That's, and that leads into, look at the explosion of the uh, Mr. S out of San Francisco, their pup hoods. It's a great design. Very it is iconic. a wonderful, beautiful, iconic design. And I am so happy for them. And my show tail is from, is from them. They're a really wonderful company. Um, and that, you know, I, it's interesting when I'm occasionally looking for new pups to connect with on Instagram and Instagram will suggest to me people who I can follow. Mm-hmm. I am astounded <laughs> by the amount of profiles I'm switching, switching by. And it's Mr. S. It's Mr. S. Even if it's knockoff, Hey, it's still, it's still good design. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of love that in a way there's like this anonymous pup army out there. And even if like they don't consider themselves a part of the pup community, I don't even care if they have 10 Instagram friends, they feel safe enough to even like make a pup Instagram profile and starting to engage and like they're findable by other people. And I don't, I don't want to say this in like this weird, creepy stalkerish way, or like, I'm just going to find the people. Um, but like, I love doing that. I actually very often I'll just go through new accounts that I've never even heard of and talk to. And I'll just like, Hey pup, like you look great. Um, and just like get that like random affirmation. So I think that's, yes, it's making it more mainstream. Um, but I think, I think that's beautiful because we could go into like, you know, again, going back to my idea of the pup theater, I love theatrical costumes and outfits and the idea of like, you know, putting on a hood or so it's gosh, you know, humans have been dressing up in costumes and dressing up as animals for a long, 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 long time. It's so very I think theatrical. there's beautiful trans transformational about that too. And I'm okay with it. So you do agree that pup play has become more mainstream. Yes. My next question is, do you feel like, the pup community now has a responsibility to be stewards of kinks in general because they now are in the forefront of when you know you when you when you see kinks out there you know you'll see a pup do you think the pup community now has this responsibility to be stewards 
for all kinks or for all the kink communities? That's a wonderful question. Um, I think that's hard because it's such an individual path. Um, if we even want to look at the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs with the idea of self-actualization and being able to really fulfill the self, um, you know, it starts with very basic needs. Like, do you have secure food? Do you have secure shelter? Um, do you have a safe environment of family, of people around you? You know, going up to, do you have furthermore the resources? Do you feel fulfilled in your life, fulfilled in your community? There's so many aspects of depth in that in just one individual person's life that I really think it's only having a lot of these things in place that you can even start to think outside of yourself. If you're just based on, I need to survive my current environment, whether that's work, school, family, whichever, you may not have the energy and the resources to even think about a wider community. Mm. And that's okay. I've talked to some pups on TikTok and Instagram. They do not wear their hoods outside of their room. They're terrified for their family to know they have any interest in putting on this dog costume hood. Um, it's a huge major fear step for them to even make a social media account where they're wearing a hood. Yeah, It's a huge step for pups to even take off their hood and have their human face recorded. They're terrified somebody's going to think they're weird on this. Right. There's so many steps of that on an individual level that I think it would be projectingly unfair to feel that, hey, you just put on a pup hood. You just like you consider yourself part of the pup community. You have a responsibility now to steward for all these other kinks. I think that's very harsh and unfair. Now, I think this can be used as, I think that's a great ideal to shoot for, to keep in mind. And I think that's why it's important that we have weather contests. We have a collective, we start getting this collective idea of people who you know, have the time and the resources to be able to come out to events, to be able to be more open in their life there gets to be a collective idea. You know, you see people long enough, you get a sense of how they are with their personality. Are they trustworthy? Do they care about the community or are they there because they're just trying to hook up and then maybe lie and cheat with people? You know, you see a pattern of people long enough and then maybe people are like, hey, maybe you should run for this title because we feel you represent enough of the ideals that we feel should be passed on. It's such, it's, it's such a huge mountain. Right. And as people get more closer to the top, um, I think that becomes more clear. But I think, I do believe that title holders and people who run and host events absolutely are in a place in which they should keep in mind of being good stewards in that, you know, checking checking their isms like hey um especially um people people of whiteness we absolutely have a responsibility to check how we navigate within racism um of like how do, how do we check the toxic aspects of ourselves and i don't say that in a shame way 
um, we're connected to our larger culture. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of forces that have enabled uh, people of whiteness, getting, getting back to the ideas of toxic white supremacy. If we're not aware why we have the resources and the freedoms to be able to navigate the parties or so in this, and we ignore that, and we maybe just start actually not inviting as many like non-white or non-male pups or so of that, you can very easily start toxifying a pool of people. And it starts very incrementally. It starts little conversations. If we wanna have the best, ro most robust, healthy community that we can have, it needs to be representative of humanity, not just what we're immediately comfortable with. Yes. No, wholeheartedly. <laughs> no. And the and and just really quick, the reason I asked it is because, yeah. you know, I feel like I feel like that sometimes that does happen is is, yeah. you know, you start seeing these mainstream things and you're like losing the yeah. meanings behind them. And it kind of, you know, I think that's why I kind of fell in love with the whole history of mm. leather and the and the stewardship that like yeah. a lot of the leather community holds because I'm like that is so cool that like they're not just running with oh this is very popular they're kind of like right. no this is our roots you have to you know you should respect that and and I feel it whenever I go to like a leather event or something yeah. or I see or I see like the older the veteran yeah leather people who are like still holding to their roots and to their you know yeah. they'll tell you like oh I'm flagging this and this is what it means and they're very educational yeah. and like I felt that at that uh LA leather event wholeheartedly uh, oh my god walking into that was so heady I loved it yeah so what we touched on a little bit ago was you know diversity let's dive into diversity a little bit more Let's do it. Would you say there is a lot of diversity in pup play right now? That I would say is you have to kind of define how you're viewing diversity. Um, I, well, and, and I say this actually to, to preface how I'm going to answer. The more that I move through and build what I understand about the pup play community. Mm -hmm. um, there was a great quote that I saw fairly recently is what community is, is simply a series of connections and friendships. So starting with just the example of a singular person, I think the healthiest communities come from looking at a singular person. What does your friend group and circle of influence, what does it look like? Mm. So yes, you don't want to tokenize anyone or force an artificial friendship with someone just to collect all the colors of the rainbow. Right. That's absolutely damaging right. and as well. But take a good look at who you feel most comfortable empathizing with, who you feel comfortable sharing your emotions with, your concerns with this. 
also, how do people validate you? If they validate you only in a way where they always tell you you're awesome and amazing, you can do no wrong. And if you, if you're upset with, maybe you're like, I don't know, I think this person said something shitty to me. And they're like, oh yeah, fuck that other person. They're a fucking asshole. If you only have that um, homogeneity of feedback and influence with perhaps people only about your own age, only about your own gender, only about your own orientation, like the more like yourself, I think your immediate sphere of influences, that becomes the basis of your community. That is mind blowing because it makes me think you're right. You know, you're you no know, that you're so you're totally right. Like when people ask, is there enough diversity in a community? You first have to take a look at, okay, who are you surrounding yourself with? And then right. you can't really answer that question until you look at yourself first. Right. I guess what I was getting at more is we were talking about, we were talking a couple minutes yeah. ago, how like, you know, cis white muscular males kind of make up. Love them. <laughs> the, the the front facing of a lot of kinks yeah. communities and all that so i guess what i was getting at is being a gender queer person do you and bisexual. yeah and bisexual <laughs> do you do you see a lot of the different flavors like like yourself in pup yeah. play or do you see it dominated by the cis white muscular males so that example that I used of, again, my sphere of influence, mm-hmm. um, community is as diverse as your immediate circle. Mm-hmm. So if I see this idea of, okay, you know, what is even dominated? You know, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love all the rabbit holes I can actually go down with this this idea. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. You're just a prisoner here in this conversation. I love uh, it. <laughs> so, okay, how does even somebody get a sense of what is being dominated in? Go, okay, so what is your, how do you get a sense of that? Um, and is it the outlets in, that you follow? Is it the certain uh, content creators and followers that fill your Instagram feed, your Twitter feed? Um, Is it the parties that you go to? Um, Now, this isn't to seem naive. Yes, there is a, what, and and it's twofold because there is a lot of incredible effort and labor and power and blood, sweat, and tears that, uh cis men cis white gay men able-bodied you know check off all the boxes Mm -hmm. there is nothing inherently wrong with being any of that (laughs) absolutely and but because for whatever certain cultural forces you know we, we come to a point where that is seen as the ideal to shoot for if you have people that check off all those boxes and they're not aware that those are not the correct boxes. Those are just the boxes that they inhabit. Mm. If they haven't done the self-reflection work 
to be able to hold and maintain that. And also that also takes a lot of ego checking work because it's very, I think it is completely a normal human behavior. You know, we feel comfortable and safe in being things. So again, taking back the example, um, if I'm a, you know, I, I check all the boxes, right? I am the dominant ideal thing. Um, it's very easy to start thinking, well, I only want to say like, I'm a talk show host. I'm, um, I own queer media. I run these parties. I'm only going to market to and invite, um, have DJs, have hosts, have bartenders, all of this that only fit <laughs> what I see in myself. Um, that I think starts from an okay place <laughs> you know like we we want to feel comfortable we want to people to be around who we feel are sexy and all of this right um but you have to be aware that you're starting to set a precedence of who feels welcome right you have to check yourself and make sure like all right is the community right. i'm surrounding myself with is it is it diverse for the right reasons and not for a token reason right and that's, it's such a delicate thing to walk because absolutely there are. And I think that's why I oftentimes, and a lot of people shrug from it because they're like, oh, you're going to get gross and political and blah, 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 liberal stuff. I don't even define myself as a Republican and liberal, all of that. Like I try to get back to the basis of humanity before we even had these titles of ideas of politics or so, you know, before we had any cultural dominance or whatever, like you know, pre-colonial type of ideals in myself. So I don't have any, and we'll like deconstruct this in a way, how I personally navigate through the world or how people would see me. Um, a lot of the times people feel I'm straight presenting. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel that I am a uh, cis female presenting. Um, I am uh, able-bodied deal with depression this can be a little bit of invisible invisible in a way um now i am and also i'm also white now i'm cognizant of certain privileges and benefits of the doubt and power that will literally just be given to be benefit of the doubt based on how i walk through and present in the world now i can't choose to be blissfully ignorant of these facts oh no, I'm not white. I'm just a person. I'm just a puppy. Like, I don't want to talk about silly adult things. I just want to be a puppy. Um, I think that sets a dangerous precedence, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Right? No. Yes. You can't, you can't, now you can't <laughs> to um, the detriment to me of your immediate community, which again, your immediate friends and the people who choose to interact with you become this basis and health of community, right? So if I'm not aware of the current both beneficial and maybe certain toxic aspects of myself that I have as, as a even vanilla human being, if I don't do the work to feel like, okay, well, why as a white person, am I given a certain benefit of the doubt? Um, why do I not have to fear about being discriminated based on the color of my skin? Um, as somebody who's, even though I am genderqueer, a lot of people, if they don't talk to me, might not know that. So I need to understand why I don't get 
discrimination based on somebody who's more um, queer presenting. Now, we could even have a larger conversation of technically gender queers under the trans umbrella, um, but there are people who are much more noticeably under the trans umbrella than I am. Now, if I just choose to ignore the like, oh, transphobia, what's that? I don't encounter that. So that's not really real. That's not really a thing. Right. Right. So there's, there's so many little layers of this. So I like to try to get back to what, before we picked up these labels and certain political power maneuvers, um, back maybe, you know, <laughs> you can go really, really crazy, like before human beings were even a species, you know, we're connected back, we're connected genetically, even go back far enough in the tree of life, you know, the first single cellular organisms of this that we all branched out of. Um, how can I get back to unifying to such a, um, I don't even want to say pure, because that can be a very problematic aspect too. Um, a non-discriminating life force unification power. How can I um, decolonize myself? How can I check the problematic aspects that I as a person have picked up family-wise, culture-wise? How can I deprogram that so I can get back to that, that loving channeled spirit? Now, for me, that also helps with the puppy play. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't see... Um, dogs caring as much about what a dog looks like it's all energy it's about how they're acting right right so i try to like let's take a note of that from the spirit of the the canine um there's not you know there's not racism there's not there's not sexism in that so you can being a being a a kink person you know being a pup player i think it's a very fine line an important line too like yeah be silly be you know be all of that too but you also have to hold yourself accountable for how you navigate the world as a human being and if you say something to somebody at a party and they're just like hey that was really not okay or that was like super transphobic you're going to do a lot of collateral damage if you're like, oh, it's just a joke or, you know, I'm just a puppy. And like, why are you getting so bent out of shape? Right. You just wag your tail and walk away. But it's like that, right. that's not going to help anyone. Yes. And those are called microaggressions and that you build those up enough and people get the sign of it's not that they're not welcome in the community. They've come across somebody <laughs> Again, going back, they have an emotional fear response for some whatever reason. They don't recognize somebody who is more feminine. They don't recognize gender queerness. They don't recognize for whatever. They may make a split decision to not feel welcoming towards that person for their own reason. If that person who they've just interacted with doesn't have a sense of an overall picture that it has nothing to do with them, it has to do with the mental experience of the other person. If they're not aware of that, then they internalize something that they're not welcome. They start becoming small and it becomes a toxic harming ripple effect, mm. but it happens in individual decisions and in individual interactions. And that's why I think it's, it's too simple to be like, well, is the community dominated by something? Is the community diverse and healthy? Because 
it totally depends on how you're looking at community. And me as a recovering people pleaser, as a recovering perfectionist, I used to be so set on the larger picture that I would run myself absolutely emotionally into the ground because I couldn't figure out, I wanted to be the perfect friend. I wanted to be the perfect romantic partner. I wanted to be this. If some, if I could just figure out what the bigger picture wanted from me, if I could just be that, then my life wouldn't be so hard. And that's literally impossible. It's impossible to be all things to all people. You will destroy yourself in the process. And so this idea of getting wrapped up in um, how how do I need to be for the community? You'll exhaust yourself. So you just have to be. Yeah. Now I can tell myself, you know, I, I can look at what I do as the community and be like, oh, well, there's a lot of media outlets, queer media outlets that have a larger following um, that are, you know, very cis, white, gay, male focused on that. Okay. I can make that observation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't control anything outside of myself. So instead of me putting my energies into here's what I feel is the problematic aspects of other people's communities that I might be tangentially attracted to, why don't I save that energy <laughs> and curate my, curate my own joy? What is my immediate circle of influence look like? So going back even to that world of, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. If I feel that other people maybe aren't being as diverse as I think they need to be, instead of yelling and complaining at them that they should change, which again, going back to the human psychology point, our ego in a way is there to protect us from threats and such. If we perceive somebody just coming at us, be like, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. It's not somebody just being thick to being like, fuck you, I don't want to listen to you. If they're not aware of even the larger pattern of, uh, they will, uh, a lot of the times it's very normal for people to shut down and be like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not welcome here. It's like, it's not that you're not welcome in the community. They just, they're not into a place, whether it's in their self-work and whatever, that they can even hear you. Right. So, yeah, all all the spiny holes. There you go. You brought up be the change, you know, you want to see since, yeah. since being a title holder or since even joining the pub community, have you had sure. other uh, gender queer people come up to you and be like, Oh my gosh, like I didn't see someone like, like me and I see you uh-huh. and you know, now I want to be puppy too. Did you get that? You know, I've actually gotten that most from uh, cis women actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's such like a kind of a delicate conversation to have with people because I, and I've actually asked myself this as well. It's really only been in the last five or six years of I've had language for, you know, gender fluidity, gender queer. I didn't even know that was an option. Um, even though I've known from a very, very young age that, okay, well, I know, what my body looks like. Ooh, okay. I have, I have boobs. I have vagina. Ooh. Um, I was always very confused why again, 
me being, I, I love the sport of soccer. I love everything about the game. I would have friends that just happen to be cis male. Most of my friends are cis male. And I was kind of told that I can't play with them because I have to go play with the girls. It's like, well, wait, hold on. I'm not playing with my genital parts. I'm not playing with my boobs. Wait, I don't under, I don't understand why I'm being told that I can't play. And this is even outside of, you know, title nine or like school club things. Yeah. I started like being confused by this binary enforcement of who we can form friendships with, who we can play sports with all of this. It was just like, well, I guess, so you're just telling me I can't really totally fit in with the guys, but I would try to force myself to be this idea of feminine and try to play like these girl sports. And I got horrifically <laughs> bullied. There was something about me that like girls wouldn't be super welcoming in and I couldn't play with the guys. And I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> Am I just not a good cis woman? I don't, I don't know. Um, but now just getting that language, um, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm not out there to correct people all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just recently had a wonderful interview uh, with Mike. I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Mike Sirakow of uh, Hey yes. Soak, which is, mm-hmm. I adore Mike. He has very sweet energy. Um, but I remember somebody had told him like, oh yeah, Kieran is the first uh, cis female title holder. And he brought that up to me during an interview. And I was like, totally fine. Um, so I'm not, that's not how I identify, but still it's, it's so common for us to think in very binary terms still right. in our community that he had mentioned actually in, in the audio video interview, he's like, yeah, and Kieran's a first cis female. I'm like, oh. like let me correct you. Um, yeah. I'm, and it's weird because I'm in this like interesting liminal space. Oftentimes that I think is like floating between cis and trans. Um, where I ex- absolutely experience a lot of body euphoria. Um, I, I, I love my body. I love my mind. I really just have a lot of self-love. Um, but I also realize I don't fit into the box that a lot of mainstream culture would be like, oh yeah, yeah, you are, you are woman. You fit all of like, your body looks like that. Your hair looks like that. You talk like that. Um, so of course you're that. It's like, hmm, no, <laughs> but you're again, other people are projecting their ideas of what they understand gender to be. And so being gender queer is affirming, but it's also a continual journey for me because I'm learning all the ways that I put myself into boxes. But that's also like the beauty of like having a conversation is like, that's when you can bring it up, right? Yeah. Like that's when you can bring it up. And that's like when you can ask those those questions like as an interviewer I have now tried to get into the habit of asking those because those are things that you know I could assume but like that would just make an ass out of me right and you know I had a wonderful very revealing conversation with um another pup uh cis male getaway pup um at a at a leather party recently and I really appreciated his open candor and he said you know what and he had he had not met me uh, either before this party or pup parties or so, but he's like, you know, uh, when I heard about you winning LA pup, 
I was actually pretty pissed off at first. I was like, go on. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, and he was, and he, and he was not, I wanted to say this too. He was not being aggressive or confronting in this too. He was actually kind of like embarrassed, shy to share me with this. So his energy was very sweet. Um, but I was like, I would love really, yeah, like, please tell me more. And he said, my first view, and I, I'm not sure if either he was at the contest or he saw pictures of the contest after, but he said, basically, what is this um, straight cis woman doing winning a pub contest? Like, this is, like, that was too many things. <laughs> and he was just like, what is happening with leather? It's like, wow, that's a lot. fascinating. He has a lot to process. That's fascinating. And I said, I was like, well, let me at least elucidate a few of those points you just brought up. Um, I am bisexual. Um, and I know that oftentimes I can present very what looks like traditionally feminine. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I am genderqueer and that's okay. And I'm actually really glad that you shared this with me because now I get to have a conversation with you. Um, so I'm just, I'm aware that that is out and exists. Um, and yeah, so that, that seemed like a huge relief to him. <laughs> but again, I think those are, those are little influences that are always kind of bubbling in the background. Again, if we haven't done our queer history reading and queer history listening, we just start to think of, queer community is just what I feel is representative of what I look like it's like that gets to be real toxic real quick right and so that's why I always think it's so important for when people you know if they don't see themselves in a space that they would like to enter right and sometimes you have to be you have to be the thing in the space yeah. for other people to be like, oh, look at there's me, right? Because you were the first to do it. Like you, like if it's not there, and it, it and, and and I liked what you said. Like you have to see in the mirror who you're surrounding yourself yeah. with. But it also goes even further. As you were talking, I was thinking of like you know, maybe you do go to one event mm -hmm. and you don't see who, who who doesn't look like you or isn't like you. You went to one event. You don't know, you know, maybe the person that looks like you is going to the next event, like, right? Yeah. Like, that's why have, you're right. Having this idea of like, okay, like what checks these boxes? Like, right. you're setting yourself up for failure and depression where right. if you just kind of just, just be, then, you know, yeah. now I'll take energy, community, all that. I love all, everything you said. Point. Now, what the, the thing that came up to me is we also have to make sure, <clears throat> you know, because both of us, we're both white. Um, we live in a culture where that is very primarily visible. Um, we see ourselves represented in media, TV, magazines, gay bars, vanilla culture. It's, that's very, very uh, media dominated, right? Um, we have to be aware of that happening and again a certain legacy of why we have a culture <laughs> that mm. is that way we have to look at all like the you know political decisions the ways that um black people indigenous people people of color um have been very intentionally disenfranchised and marginalized 
outside of what is seen as this white ideal going back hundreds of years. We need to be cognizant of that because why do we have the resources to be able to have all this fancy gear and to have the time to go out, you know, to bars and such, to be able to live in areas where we, we have those resources to do that. Um, that again, gets into a lot of work that we need to do to check, you know, we can't undo the past, but we can see certain behaviors and how we benefit from harmful decisions in the past. Because we can only live in the present, we have to make different decisions to share resources to get back to a more of an equitable society. So right. No, that, I that, that big heady thing being said, if say Okay, we go to parties that are, you know, very visually, primarily like white attended, right? We mm -hmm. might see only a few people of color, right? And if a people of color knows and trusts us well enough that we come up and be like, hey, I, you know, I had somebody say something really kind of shitty to me, like racial fetishization without my, without my consent. Um, I was kind of made to like, unfeel welcome and I really feel really comfortable here. If we're not aware of that larger picture and we tell that person, well, it's just one party, like, you know, maybe you should just hang out that, you know, microaggression didn't really happen. You're just too sensitive. Why don't you get over it? Like everybody's welcome here. That gets into gaslighting. Right? No, you bring up a really good point. So, which further adds into unhealthy, toxic communities. And it's very easy for us as white kinksters, as white pups, whichever you want to call it. If we don't have that internal check, it's very easy for us to collaterally damage um, black indigenous people. Even, you know, if say, if we're um, cisgender, whatever, just, yeah, those little things that we're projecting onto other people. Um, and yes, that seems like heady, really uncomfortable work, but I think that's why, I think that's how I choose to make myself a better person and make my communities healthier and stronger around me. It's, it starts and it ends with me and my decisions. There's a really great saying actually within, um, maybe it's a, a general thing, but I came across it when studying anti-racism and it's the idea of like, I'm not responsible for my first thought but I am responsible for my second thought and my first action. Mm. So it's okay. If I see, if I go into even like, you know, okay. I'd even say like as a gender core person, if I go into a space and I, you know, I see some, see somebody that for some reason, I just don't feel comfortable with or so I can process that. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> But I have to, you know, check through all of my certain privileges and powers or so and be like, okay, how can I ground myself with this? And then how can I best choose to how I want to associate with that person? How do I, I want to ground myself in, in being welcoming, in being humble, but also, you know, not projecting my privileges onto other people and doing, doing harm. And that yeah 
that's, I think, also a big part of my pup play. I mean, um, yeah. So. You, know, you bring up a really good point, and it opened my mind to it. Yay. So I want to turn now to when I first met you was at, a, at the LA Pup event, and you were talking about how one of the things you love about pup play is how playful it is and how that actually transcends into, you know, your sexual play when you're like, you know, with wrestling yeah. and stuff. Talk yeah. to me about that. Mm. So, oh man, again, my, my brain is like so many ways I could talk about this. Um, so I'll start kind of the core of, you know, how, how I'm a sexual being navigating this world in my, in my meat suit. Um, <laughs> um, gosh, let's see, let's talk history. Um, so I first had sex when I was 20. Um, how my sexuality and sensuality was, you know, starting from when I was 20, um, was very, um, uh, very cuddly, very huggy, uh, very, before I knew it was kind of primal, it was very, uh, very physical kinetic, uh, very, you know, like just very like raw, like mm -hmm. when I really, um, feel safe and attracted enough to someone that I want to be sexual with them, I put my full body into it. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of kissing, a lot of touching, um, massage, hand-holding. It's a very like, it's a, it's a, like almost like a full body prayer of, Hey, I like being around you. I feel good when I'm around you. Um, and being on that same playful mental space is really, really important to me. Um, and even like before I was sexual, like I get a huge amount of joy in like roughhousing. Like, and again, again, I had to learn that when I took my early ideas of roughhousing and that started forming who I was sexually, um, I didn't really know should I, how should I say this in a way that I don't absolutely like malign myself in a horrible soundbite? It's not that I didn't know what consent was, but it's that I didn't, I was kind of naive and full of like, you know, excited hormones of like, Hey, I'm really into this person. I'm like, rawr. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually very glad that I had, I had a partner when I was about 24, that was the first partner that I remember being kind of rough with him. And I remember, I think, taking my nails. And this was, I hadn't even learned about kink yet. I think I learned about kink when I was 26. So I'm like 24. And I remember just taking my nails. And I already have, I keep my nails really short, but I still like roughly like kind of took my nails into like his head. I was just mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and he was like, ow that hurts please don't do that and I remember it was it literally changed everything and I realized up until that point I had actually not had somebody tell me no I don't like that that hurts please stop doing that and through that and kind of other conversations I was like oh wait 
yes, there's a certain way that I can be sexual and playful, but I need to talk about how I like to be sexually and playful with somebody before I do the things, because it's a possibility that they might not like being sexual like that. It's important to have those pre-play conversations. And sometimes as like youth or like young, young, I want to say young sexual beings. So let's just talk 18 and over right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you have a little bit of trial and error with that. (laughs) Some a lot trial and error. You can have people who majorly, you know, by actually that can literally turn into assault or, or rape as well. Um, not knowing how to ask of what somebody's okay with and what somebody's not okay with. So I share all to say that that was um, the basis of how I was kind of growing as a sexual being. I, I feel really fortunate. I had incredible, incredible, very sweet um, boyfriends and partners, really only a handful kind of one off um, of, of women who I with um, hadn't had an experience of being with people, at least to my knowledge, who were uh, gender expansive. Um, but so when I came into kink and I came into kink when I was uh, in the Atlanta kink scene, I was living in Georgia when I learned about kink. Um, I was such in a great community that really, uh, well, the Burning Man community too, talked really about consent and touch. And so like, oh, I'm, I'm now even more in this environment where they're talking about you know, asking and being like, okay, I'm like, oh man, that, and then it becomes second, more second nature when you're around people who talk about it a lot and it becomes important. It stops being this weird, strange thing. It just becomes how you start acting. So because I kind of came into the pup play, 2018, 19. So we're looking maybe three or four years. I'm 35 now. So I started being a pup really when I was like 31 ish. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd already been sexual for like 11 years before that. Because, pup play, because especially I got into it as this therapeutic joy practice. I didn't really consider it sexual at all, how mm-hmm. I started in with it. It was kind of like um, a therapeutic hobby that I was starting to do of how to practice my joy in a way. It's really only now that I feel like I'm, I don't want to say maturing into it because I feel like we're always maturing into different aspects of ourselves. Like we don't, right. What not, does that mean? We're not a finished product. We're not like, oh, well, I've arrived. Um, as this point now in my pup play journey, partners that I already have a sexual connection with and a sexual energy and a a playful shared understanding so far at least to date haven't been made within specifically the pup play community oh yay pupper ducks i love that exactly yeah what the dog said i completely agree with that um (laughs) someone walked by the door i love that um I will actually slowly kind of open up my pup side to people if I already have an existing fun sexual dynamic with them. I feel so that. It, 
right? It's a, it's a very kind of nuanced answer. Um, because right now it's, it's not that I'm guarded about my pup play things, but as even kind of a, a demisexual person. So a person who is more connected to sexuality based on shared emotional comfort. And like, I know you, I like you. I want to know and like you as a person, as a holistic person before even any ideas of sexuality become interesting for me. Yes. Right. And so if, if people only see me in pup play and they don't, they haven't had a conversation with me outside of pup play and they're like, that is sexy. I want to have sex with that. You're like, hold on. Wait a minute. Right. That is their fine little within the confines of their own mind. You know, obviously I'm not, I'm not going to try to police other people's fantasies and what they find attracted to what they find sexually attracted to. Right. That's totally fine. Do your damn thing. But you have to kind of, you know, how, how cognizant are people aware of this is my fantasy and what I'm connected to. You don't get to just project your fantasy and get what you feel you're entitled to. And I just, yet to find in my just organic way of moving through the world. Um, and actually, in a way, maybe this is kind of a bit of a blessing and a boon because, you know, as, as we talked about, a lot of spaces can be very um, white, cis, gay, male oriented. Mm-hmm. If I just want to focus on being a puppy anyway, um, hey, maybe guess what? It actually works out great to my boon in some ways. I'm not really the the sexual demographic that a lot of people are looking for <laughs> and that's awesome <laughs> i love that because then i get to even even more i don't have to have that conversation of well i'm kind of demisexual i have to get to know you as a person i just get to freaking puppy puppy tuppy tuppy out and right. i get to be friends i get to be friends with anybody who vibes with that energy so it's i don't define my pup pup play through needing a sexual component, but I absolutely love and respect those who do, who love to be the fucking dirty slut puppy, like who love to be that, you know, they, they have this sexy little tail plugs and they, they love people coming out with their consent, you know, like objectifying them as, as you know, the dirty little puppy they are. I love that. I think that's so cute and I love it. I love it. Um, but I just, I almost kind of, it's not that I'm a prudish at all. Mm-hmm. I just find the most incredible joy for me, um, not having to rely on, on sex to yeah. me with that stuff. Yeah. Like I'll just, yeah, I'll open that up in turn and slowly to like existing sexual partners. Um, but then it doesn't become we don't have sex within within pup play it's like oh wait these kind of like making sounds and rough playfulness has been a part of how i've been sexually for a long time i didn't define it as pup play um and i don't just added to it yeah i don't have to be like i don't like oh man babe get out the hood and the tail i'm gonna be your objectify little puppy thing i can only get off if the pup hood's on right and you know what if some people do more power to them um, but it's an, it's a core energy for me. 
I can go from boardroom, boring presentation, talking vanilla person to, hi, hi, oh my God, love you. I can do that in a split second. I don't need gear. It's, it's a state of mind and a playfulness. So, yeah. Only because I'm really interested in this topic. You were yep. talking about how like pup play is very therapeutic and then like the sexual aspect yeah. comes next. And I think that's a huge, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing for me too, where, you know, diapers for me are very therapeutic and then the sex comes second. The sex does come, but it like, it comes in stages. Do you feel like oh, that's comes so hard? Comes so hard. Uh, <laughs> do you think... I would love to like pick your brain about like, did you have, did something have to click for you that you were like, okay, I can both have this therapeutic aspect of this kink and also get off on it too. So it's, yeah, that's actually a really great question. Um, You know, for me, and this is a, this is a hard question because, or it's a hard answer because I feel it's very, very close together. Before I knew about pup play, I knew about primal play. So my first exposure to kink was seeing pony pony play with the two-wheeled pony cart being wheeled around by one pony and then his two partners who were sitting in the cart at a Burning Man event in Georgia. It was like called Alchemy Burn. Wonderful. I was astounded by this amazing theatrical aspect of acting as an animal and with love and respect. And I was like, ah, I want to do that. Um, that's how I got into the community. I wanted to be a pony. I was at a pony event in, in Atlanta, where um, a guy and his female partner did a demo on primal play. And he brought a wrestling mat and he got down and he's just like, hey, so this is what we're going to show. Like we, we channel a very like rough, animalistic, full body thing. And this is how we negotiate. This is how we talk about it. And then we're going to show you an example of how we get into that headspace. And like, okay interesting and then I see them going from that very educational blah 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 this is what we're doing as educators to what almost seemed to me savage no hold barred growling sweating putting like your shoulder knowing how your um your weight balance can be used to like tackle a partner and then getting in and like kissing their neck and just like kissing on them and biting them in places and I was like what is this heady, gorgeous shit? Like, wait, there's a name for this? Excuse me? Mm-hmm. And so I went from actually having Anderson Pony play of like, dude, I'm a primal player. Holy shit. So actually, I would say my sexuality right now, I would actually more defi- define it as primal. Mm-hmm. It's very animalistic and raw and full hands-on and very physical and all of this negotiated out with the partner specifically, of course. Um, Pup play is very adjacent to that. I see it. Right. So it's, it's, it's very, very, very close. It's playful. Um, It is very, very playful, but sexually for me, it's, it's primal is more wild to me. Pup play how at least I'm interacting with it, it's a lot more of like, I'm a little bit more of a domesticated community service pup. Do you think it's because you hold a title? So you kind of like 
have to um, wear a cape a little bit. Not saying you wear capes no, to your event. Actually, I that's actually how I kind of started out. Oh, okay. I want I wanted to do pup play to have a little bit of reprieve from my dark depressive holes that my my mind would get into. I'd absolutely beat the shit out of myself mentally. And when I put on the pup hood, I just I could be silly. It gave me permission to kind of get into almost like a childlike flow state of this silly playfulness. And in a way, like a psychological way, it was like honoring my inner child yes. because I needed to play. And then that remembered of my inner child was like, oh, I loved like the dogs that I used to be around growing up. I want to be more like their energy. And so, you know, this, is, <laughs> this isn't even my final form. I'm continually evolving. Um, but it's really like, I'm still kind of in that channeling that very general sense of the canine and canines are pack animals. Mm -hmm. And I want to, the more I kind of soak that and I'll put a, you know, a photo or video, actually my whole Instagram account started because I wanted, you know, I have a background as a journalist and photojournalist. I wanted to document my own process of how I was creating this almost kind of a proof to myself that I don't have to be such, you know, a depressive mean asshole to myself all the time. I can have moments of lightness. And then I would actually look at that after and be like, man, this is so dumb. But then I'd, I'd look at it more. I'm like, Hey, that's kind of cute actually. And then because I posted it, people were like, Oh my God, that's adorable. That actually gave me the idea of how to like be light and silly it started like that. So it started kind of from a, a basis of self-care and then community care. That's my pup play, self-care and community care. My sexuality is very wild, primal, primal. beastie, right? So it's very, it's close. Um, and I might kind of like learn how to, with certain partners to Excellent. meld it. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting if, if somebody sees me in my playful pup aspect and I've actually had a partner at one time in the past be like, I really want to, like, I want to have sex when you're in that. It was actually really almost repulsive to me in a way. <laughs> now he's, it was okay for him to ask. Um, but it just, it was like, I'm having a hard time actually explaining why. I don't want you like this is I'm doing this thing over here. It's a very different energy. Yes. You're oh my God. I'm so glad you say this all out loud because <laughs> what I'm like slowly learning about myself and like I keep loving that you use the phrase like this isn't my final form. Yeah. Because what I'm slowly getting at is, you know, when I'm diapered by myself. Yeah solo sexual yeah feel it, love it all that but yeah. i noticed when i start meeting other people mm. it becomes less sexual and more community based yeah. like it's this like at diaper active mm. i am i am turned on by the community that is happening yeah would i like sex eh, i could but like it's more of like the community is turning me on than the actual right of it what's not that. What's knocking my socks off lately is gooning. You know what gooning is? I don't. Please just, define. Just um, 
I'm new to it. So I probably don't have the best definition, but it's basically self-pleasuring yourself to the point of like just becoming dumb. Right. It's it's just, you're like edging yourself to like the point of being dumb. It's like seeing how far you could get to the edge of, of edging before you finish. Yeah. And I'm learning. And I do that all the time. Then I do. There's a term for that. Yeah. And what I'm kind of learning is how, like, I could have this kink that I, that like represents this kinky side of me. Yeah. But also have all these other things that like turn me on more. And I'm kind of loving that you were talking mm-hmm. about how like, right. You like pup play is very therapeutic for you. Yeah. But primal play is very sexual for you and you, and yeah. you're balancing both. And I think that's something that even within kinks, I don't, I've never heard talked about a whole lot is how like you can have a kink that that is sexual, but also a kink that's therapeutic. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. We opened a can of worms. (laughs) Love it. And I think that's also what's, um, gets into, again, going back to this representation in media, right? Because that is a fleetingly intangible hard thing to discuss maybe unless you're actually in live talking with the person and who knows maybe this would actually be something great to write about you know we're both writers journalists who should like do articles on this right to get the conversation more going if you've heard about pup play or diaper play and don't know anything muscle about it you go to heaven or you know google images instagram And you're flooded with these images that you don't have emotional nuance-based context for. And again, going back to our own, like we have certain, for whatever freaking reasons, preferential bodies, preferential genders, traits, all of this, that people learn from a young age, oh, this is the ideal way to be. Those receive more loves, those receive more saves, comments. So when you don't know anything about a thing, those are going to be what come up to the top. And the images you might see of pup or diaper play are um, from porn, very extremely sexualized in a way. Now there's nothing wrong (laughs) with porn. There's nothing wrong with this creative, raw, gorgeous, sexy aspect. But if that's the only thing you see, you might even try to go against yourself to force yourself to be very sexual in order to fit in and that right the whole problematic can worms or then you go to a party and you think you have to be sexual but you're not listening you're not honoring your internal journey your internal voice and then you might put yourself in a situation with a partner or so where they you're giving the external signs that you're into them because you want to fit in and then you actually have a horrible fucking time and then you end up kind of you know hurting the feelings of two people because you're you're not aware of how you're forcing yourself to be inauthentic yeah i mean i know i can only speak within the diaper community you know there are a group of people who will just wear one and they're like you know i just identify as a dl a diaper Mm -hmm. lover and not the ab side yeah but they kind of feel like, oh, I need to like explicitly say that, right? Because mm-hmm. it had, the acronym has all the names in it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you kind of, you, you're almost like you have to, you have to self-think about like, all right, I'm entering this kink, but how, how does the kink 
how do I wear the kink? Yeah. How's the kink? You know, how do I wear it? How, how like, how do I use it? And how is yeah. it individual to yourself? Right. And you have to be aware perhaps too, and it becomes such a fine line of any one of us can very easily at any point become gatekeepers of mm. you're not, you're not doing pup play, right? You're not, you're not doing diaper, right? Mm. We can only speak from how we navigate with our own understanding of kink. I mean, honestly, one of the first ideas that I had of when I heard kink in general, I actually, my brain went to the DSMV five or the DSMV of um, how uh, even homosexuality kink and such was considered literally a mental illness. Mm. So I actually thought kink was like a compulsion that somebody had to do in order to even feel any sexual gratification whatsoever. Oh, because queer people were just so deviant that kink was the only way to get off. I see that. Or even, I didn't even specifically think of kink within queer. I just literally thought it was almost kind of the point of like, yeah, a predatory slash like compulsion of almost getting into this idea of, and this is a totally different thing, but like, people who have certain conditions like you know they have to touch like a doorknob five times or so to like feel safe and okay i i yeah had put this certain amount of like toxic ableism to king of like that's that's not something that normal functioning members of society do like and and now i've just come to the point of like kink is a very wide umbrella of it's i don't know I don't want to water it down by saying it's just a hobby somebody has because I think it's, it's okay to see seen as kink as this very, you know, edgy, sexual, hard to understand thing. I think that's actually part of its power. It's, you know, it's not easily defined as one thing. Um, but I literally come to the point where it's just, it's, it is one of my hobbies. <laughs> like, right. I, have a lot, I have a lot of different hobbies. I like, I like bicycling. I like going to parks. I like going to kink parties. I also go to vanilla bars and yeah. Right. <laughs> you're right. The The word kink itself is very complex and it, it's almost yeah. like you're, you're damned. You're kind of damned however you define it. Right. Like I think yeah. when I first started the word kink was like, Oh, things not vanilla that I find sexual, but like, you know, you're totally right. Kink could also be very th- therapeutic and there sometimes therapy and sexual are two different things so like that definition doesn't work yeah. anymore so it's like right. and i think like you were saying the mainstream media or just society in general has defined kink as this very odd thing that when you bring it up to people it's like oh we can't talk about that that's very like that's very bedroom conversation and it's like no it's just another like it's almost like you're almost painting it the same way gay used to be painted, right? Exactly. Like you couldn't Going say gay out loud. Yep. Coming or queer school. out loud. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, in wrapping up. Yeah. And this will be like a three prong question. If I, if, if I wanted, if I wanted to get into pup play, I've, I've listened to this whole conversation. Sure. Just, I'm sold. I want to do pup play. <laughs> How can I start? Is gear required? And if I want to get gear, where should I go? Three-prong question. Okay, so let's start with number one. Um, 
was that? How can I start? How do I start into pup play? How do I start? So pup play starts within yourself. So if you feel that you have an interest towards pup play, you've already started. Because it's, it's an internal journey. I mean, we could, we could make some aspect of anything that you do in life as an internal journey because you create your own experience by what you choose to do and say, you know, your, your word is magic. So like you put your intent towards into something and you do the damn thing, you become that thing. So if somebody I'm interested in doing pup play, I want to validate them that they're already a pup. They're already doing pup play. Mm. Now it's choose your own adventure. <laughs> you can choose to do a pup play in a lot of different avenues. Um, we're very lucky that we live in a time of such technological communication and community that it's very easy to have a Twitter account, um, FetLife, Telegram, Instagram, making an account specifically for your pup play is a wonderful, wonderful way to be creative and share, you know, whether that's through word, whether that's through photo, that's through video, but also learn seeing, being connected to other pup players. Even if you're really, really shy, you don't know what to do. You're kind of overwhelmed by this. You have a faint interest that you're interested in this, but you don't know how you contribute. You don't know what to do. And honestly, getting account and just following a lot of different accounts um, and seeing what they post, being able to comment, being able to interact with that is wildly educational. Um, and we're very lucky. So it doesn't matter if you're in the smallest little podunk town. You know, I was, I was raised in fairly small towns in the South. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was actually, you know, going to a Burning Man event in still fairly small towns that I just happened to see just a little bit of kink and I followed that thread. So I've talked with pups who are extremely small towns in conservative areas internationally. There is no, I'd actually even argue there's no big out visible community, but I bet there's a lot of isolated feeling people <laughs> actually mm -hmm. in their town, even some, uh, their city, bigger city, that they're not even aware of yet. And so the more connected and visible people can be, even if it's just within their puppet, heck, even if you just have a freaking meme account of whatever, you know, within like the realm of kink or whichever, have some type of online presence, even if you don't want to share a picture of yourself, your name or whichever, so that you're connected and learning to more people um that to me is the best way to start within your own comfort then absolutely try to go out to a kink party try to go out to a leather gathering try to go out to i know um here in los angeles we're very 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 blessed and lucky with a lot of different outlets we have um you know the uh, LA leather pride each year, like a week's worth of events that you can go out to, um, within pet play and pup play specifically. Um, we have Chewy's kennel, um, at the bullet bar every second Tuesday. That's 
no cover. Now they used to have to be 21 and up. Um, they're so super fun event, super fun event. Uh, we have SoCal creatures that have monthly moshes, um, and events too. But if somebody isn't in Los Angeles or near a major city, yeah, start with a social media presence and go at your own pace. I don't care how obnoxious people are. It's not a popularity contest. It's not, you know, the people with the most gear wins. It's not the people who are having the most sex wins. It's even the people that you think have the ideal bodies or whatever, and go to all the fancy, crazy sexual gay parties or so. Everybody has their own individual journey that is absolutely valid and they're doing it. They're doing it fine. (laughs) So use social media, but with the caveat, be careful how you continually compare yourself to what you're seeing. Mm. You are seeing just little snippets of somebody's life. And like, if you look at my Instagram account, overwhelmingly, it's very silly and very playful. And I have little vignettes of how I travel around and go to Renaissance fairs. Now I do have a couple of vignettes in which I talk about, you know, my depression feeling down. Um, but overwhelmingly it's very, Hey, I'm in my costumes and everything too. Um, that in a way now I don't, I don't put that to be intentionally misleading to anyone. But still, you can get a sense of if you get trapped in this idea of I need to be more like another person to do pup play correctly. That's uh, a very fine, dangerous line. Right. Gravitate towards what you're gravitated to. Explore that. Take what works for you and leave the rest. It's a trial and error process of growth. So trust 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 the process and trust your intuition and if you don't feel that something is interesting to you don't do it and ideally try not to be a jerk to other people along the way when you find something you don't like just ideally try to keep that to yourself i mean obviously if somebody's predatory and they're out like (laughs) leaving bodies back and forth like yes have the responsibility to speak up or seek out other people but if it's just because you don't understand something and nobody's hurting somebody doing something, just try not to be a dick. And because the clock is running down, yes, no, is gear required to start pup play? No. And then last question. If and I, like, want- I, I do want to say that the first LA pup 2016 pup zero specifically ran in. He didn't have a pup hood. He won LA pup not having a hood or not worried about gear. So. Wow. And then last question, if I so want one, wanted one, where, in your opinion, one word answer or one, one place answer, where would I go to get some good gear? Try to stay as local as you can with your gear. There you go. Shop local. Shop it helps local. the community. It does. Well, thank you, Karen Hound, for coming to Newsy's Nook and talking about so many things. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. And go play and go have fun and be all the puppy and the babies that we want to be because we're amazing. And yeah. Yay. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. Ha. 
it's no secret that I'm a mega soka. Sometimes I just put on a diaper, drink a little water, and bam, I'm leaking all over the place. And I'm left thinking, is it me? Am I the soka? And then I found North Shore's Mega Maxes. Have you seen them? They say they can last up to 12 hours. 12 hours, I know! And they come in a variety of colors like white, pink, tie-dye, and blue. My favorites is blue. And the best part is, it's anti-odor, so I can be my little stinker self all I want. If you want to get your grabby hands on them, just look in the show notes of this episode. I got you. It's like what North Shore always says, be dry, be confident, be you. All right, kiddos, before we go, I wanted to end with the definition of pride, which is a feeling of deep pleasure for one's own achievements and the achievements of those whom one is closely associated with. I take pride in my achievement to speak openly about a kink that I love, and I'm proud of those who are also so open about their kinks. I am proud of those who are paving the way in our ABDL community, like Pup Kenzo who competed at IML 2022, showing off his fabulous diaper and leather. I'm proud of our diaper companies like ABU who are breaking into new kink spaces like IML. And I'm proud of those in our community who take their ABDL and kink journey step by step and day by day to understand themselves. Alright kiddos, I am leaking all over the place, but before I go, I will leave you with this quote. Be who you are and say what you feel. Because those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Alright kiddos, see ya, bye! Hey, do you know how to read? I don't know how to read, but I heard Playtime has a new bi-weekly online kink magazine. It's called Playzine. Yeah. I heard if I knew how to read, I could read about different fetish lifestyles, events, entertainment, and news. I guess I gotta go to the Playtime website to practice my reading skills.